everyone, and welcome back to the Rootless Living Podcast in episode number 17. I'm your host, Damien Ross, and I'm the publisher of a digital nomad magazine called Rootless Living. Don't forget, you can head over and grab a free digital subscription at rootlessliving.com. On this episode, I chat with Heath Paget, who has been on the road since 2014, and he has launched quite a few cool businesses slash kind of projects while being on the road. He has a great Facebook group, podcast, and in-person event all around the RV entrepreneur lifestyle. Before I spoil too much, let's get into the episode. All right, with that, let's welcome Heath to the show. Heath, how are you? I'm good, Damien. Good morning, man. Good morning, man. Good to talk to you. So where are you currently in the world? We are currently parked, we have our RV parked in Destin, Florida for almost every year since we started traveling. Alyssa and I have talked about doing the whole snowbird thing in Florida and we've never done it for whatever reason, like life comes up kind of thing. And this year we're here and we parked for a month and I'm kicking myself for not doing it sooner because it's pretty awesome. And you just let me know that you might have some flighter, fighter, flighter, some fighter jets flying overhead. So we might uh, mute in and out just because of that. So that's actually pretty cool too, just in itself, but probably makes it tough for doing any kind of audio work. <laughs> I've done a few episodes of this week on my podcast and it's, it hasn't been too bad. I mean, I just kind of mute every now and then, but I mean, we're kind of parked near a fort. So they just kind of go by, which is cool if you're not recording a podcast. So what do you consider yourself? Full-time? Part-time? We're full-time. I mean, we we hit the road in 2014 and we were on the road for five years in our RV and different RVs. And then this last year we got an apartment and had a baby and did that stationary in an apartment for a year, which is great to be around family, go to doctor's appointments, have a washer dryer, bathtub and all that. But then we moved our stuff into storage a couple months ago and now we are back on the road full-time. So you're traveling with your wife, Alyssa, and your baby, Ellie. Is Ellie right? I want to make sure I get the name right. You're right. <laughs> okay. And with a name like Damien, anytime there's E's and I's, I'm really conscious of it, the way my parents spell my name. So I'm always on there. No, I get you. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, I, what do you, just real quick, I mean, I, I'll definitely want to talk about this. How did the break work for you? Did it re-energize you into this lifestyle? Because I feel like, you know, I did a, a two months in San Leon, stayed in the RV, but man, it really like re-energized me to get back on the road. Like I was itching. How about you? For us, we never intended to be full-time digital nomads. That was kind of like an accident. We were just like a lot of people who've come into this world and this community that seems so normal to us now. We wanted to go on extended road trip, have a year of adventures. Like a lot of people, we wanted to just go on a year of adventures and then it just kind of continued on two years and three years. And we're like, well, we're having fun. So we keep doing it. And as far as the break goes, whenever we got pregnant, we Alyssa was got sick and we realized we, we just kind of needed to have a place for a year to like for her to take a bath and make some meals without like her getting nauseous because I'm making Brussels sprouts in the kitchen of the RV and like walking around and shaking it and her getting nauseous and stuff. And so it was really nice for us because it allowed us to be around family for this year as we make a transition to becoming parents. And also because we couldn't really we didn't go outside very much because Alyssa was really sick. And so if we were in an RV, it would have just, we would have just been sitting inside a bunch because she couldn't really move around too much. And I think for those reasons, it was really nice. I also took the time to join a co-working space. I got to work a lot of my software company. So it was like a period of dedicated focus and I could take lots of calls and I wasn't just, you know, in the RV and moving around as much. So I think for us, it was really good. And um, kind of like retroactively looking at it, from now that we're back on the road, I think it's just all about seasons of 
life and kind of what makes sense for you. Most people don't have a plan to say, I'm going to be on the road and I'm going to be a full traveler for the rest of my life. Some people do, but you know, for us to have that year of a, of a break was, was really nice. But I can also say now that we're back out on the road, we feel like we're quote unquote back to our normal life. We've said it several times, like we're enjoying getting to go on runs on the beach. I'm training for my first mountain race this year. So like just being outside a bunch, Ellie is, I think thoroughly enjoying it because we have this big match, like big pad that she can play on outside the rig. And it's, it's been really nice to get back on the road. So you've been on the road since 2014. It's not obviously the earliest adopters, but that's pretty early because really the, the internet in regards to it being really mobile and really kind of dedicated where you could rely on it, you know, that's just hitting kind of that time frame. What got you guys to go on the road and, and what did your life look like before you hit the road? What kind of changes did you have to make to do this? As you said, one year kind of trip. It's kind of funny because from hosting the podcast, I always get excited and talk about like how this is a, a newish, th- not necessarily how it's a new thing, but I just, I guess because I'm excited about it and I talk about how we could get to travel and leverage the internet, you know, it makes it sound like I think that people haven't traveled for extended periods of time ever. And those are like some of the <laughs> only negative reviews I have in iTunes. It's like people like, basically saying, Hey, this guy thinks that what he's doing is totally new, but people have been doing it a long time. But so anyway, I think <laughs> the question was, what was the question again? You worried about the hate too much. If you want to, <laughs> you can comment on this that Damien doesn't know that people have been doing this for a while. And then let's meet up in a coffee shop someday and talk about it. Um, <laughs> so you took off in 2014. What did your life look like? Uh, like before you guys took off, what did you guys like? What made you want to do this? So before Alyssa and I got into our RV, we 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 were in college, and then we both had our respective jobs for like nine ish months. Alyssa's was a little bit longer because she's smart and graduated college early, but she was living in New Orleans. I was living in Austin, and we both had office jobs. She was working at a nonprofit there um, post uh, Katrina. They were doing like restoration still, and I was working at a software company in Austin. So basically just like waking up, I lived downtown, I would bike into the office and I was, was, the company was called You Earned It. It was like an employee recognition platform, SaaS company. And it was kind of cool. We had like unlimited PTO. It was a cool office on the 20th floor of the high rise in downtown. I like the people I work with. And I love Austin. It's a cool city. I still had a lot of my friends there after college. But once we got engaged, we started kind of dreaming about like what the next phase of our life was going to look like. And while I think we were in an okay place, it wasn't the life that we were kind of dreaming about. Like we both had dreams of, I wanted to run my own business. Alyssa wanted to write books. And we kind of just felt like we needed to do something big to, to shake it up and just not like live in the status quo. And I don't think we exactly had... A specific idea for what we wanted that to look like we knew we just wanted to have an adventure because you know our life had basically been structured for you know go to school go to college get a job and we just kind of felt like it's a good time we're young I do have a little bit of student debt but not a crazy crazy amount we have a little bit of savings so let's spend a little bit of time traveling and kind of seeing what's all out there and kind of figuring it out so that those are kind of the things that were going on in our head before we started traveling now, I think it is important to talk about how old you were in 2014 when you actually left. What were the ages of both you and Alyssa? We were 23. I would say that's 
you know, again, I don't want the haters to comment, but that's probably one of the youngest couples I've heard of that it wasn't, let's say, a one-year thing. I mean, there's a lot of people that do take some time. They travel Europe, they do some backpacking, they do that kind of stuff. But to have been on the road, you know, 23 now going on 29, if I do the math right? Yep. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty... Most people are doing this life at the end of work or the end of careers, and your career is just starting out. And to make this transition... That's got to be a little scary. How are the how are parents, family, and friends when you're saying, "Hey, you know what? We're going to hit the road for, you know, a, a year and do this." What was kind of the pushback feedback from people? We took a little while before he told them. <laughs> I remember because we kind of wanted to f- act like we had our stuff together before we shared it with him. But I remember explicitly. I think Alyssa's mom found out because whenever we registered for our wedding gifts we basically registered for stuff we needed for the rv and when her mom was looking at the wedding registry she was like he just looked like he registered for a camping trip what is this and like she we hadn't told her yet so Alyssa had the conversation and then we were in austin and her mom leaned over to me while we were eating at a mexican food restaurant there and she was like hey what is this i hear about you taking my daughter on a three-month rv trip (laughs) I mean, little did she know, like three three months actually meant like six years and counting, but who who cares? That's details. And I think for my my parents, my dad was like, cool, sounds fun. My mom was like, you know, I put you through college, you got a job. Like, I feel like I had a stamp of you're successful now. And, you know, she did, they did a great job of helping us get to that point. So I think it was just kind of a, you know, why, why are you doing this? Why does this make sense for you? And so... I think those were understandable reactions that a lot of people would have. Uh, Luckily, everything worked out and it's all been fine. But one of the things that I thought about and I still think about is this uh, kind of saying from my butt in college. And it sounds really smart. So I'm sure he stole it from somebody else. I love him, but, you know, I can't give him too much credit. He, He basically said there's never a right time to travel in your life because when you're young, you have the time and the energy, but not the means when you're middle age, you have the energy and the means, but not the time. And when you're older, you have the time and the means, but not the energy. So no matter when you travel, there's always going to be some type of sacrifice. And at 23, that sacrifice was the means. We didn't have necessarily the money. And so as we we had this big dream, and we basically had to figure out and scramble and say like, okay, we have this dream. Let's go to all 50 states. It makes us so excited. Uh, but let's come up with like a format for it. Let's figure out how we can get funding for this type of thing. And not just like funding where we're going to do a GoFundMe kind of thing, but actually like a project where we can like build skills and start actually like making money to support this kind of trip. So let's transition to that. You really did take off and there was an actual like documentary theme idea in and around this trip, which is a lot different for most. Oh, well, in a sense, I think a lot of people are leaving on this life and saying, okay, I'm going to start creating, you know, content and get paid for it. But yours was a true, like, we're going to film this documentary. And I think it had a really kind of neat angle to it. Let's talk about that a little. So you were traveling to 50 states and what were you going to do in all 50 states? Yeah. So I ended up meeting with a guy named Ja Jung uh, before we left on our trip. We shared kind of a mentor and Ja had this really cool story and he had a YouTube channel and stuff where basically he was starting a company, got rejected from a venture capitalist and felt kind of demoralized. Like he was just felt very down about this rejection. He essentially realized like, I've been so afraid of rejection. It's holding me back in my life. I need to get out of this fear. So he came up, he found this thing called rejection therapy where you intentionally go out and get rejected by like 
asking for 10% off your coffee or something like that, or asking for a burger refill, just like ridiculous stuff to hold, like desensitize yourself from this fear. And he did a hundred day challenge where he was going to film himself for a hundred days, getting rejected. And hopefully at the end of it, you know, he's more fearless than before and it helps him in his life. And he did this series and on day three, he like he did a video, went viral. He went to Krispy Kreme and asked the lady to um, to rearrange his donuts into the shape of the Olympic rings. And she did it. And she was like, here's, you know, how do they look this year? And she gave them to him for free. And so he had millions of people after this video went viral that he posted it. And like millions of people follow along for the rest of his journey. And the whole idea was creating a, a journey that basically would push you outside your comfort zone and kind of make you a better version of yourself. And so I didn't necessarily want to do that, but I met up with Joff for lunch in Austin. He lived there. And I basically said, hey, look, man, my wife and I have this goal of visiting all 50 states. It's just something we want to do. We like traveling. It's a goal, you know. And we decided we're going to do it on our honeymoon. And I was like, we don't just want to travel. We want to come up with some type of journey that throughout this year we can become better versions of ourselves kind of thing. And he said, look, you're 23, still trying to figure out what you want to do in your career and maybe you want to start a business, whatever. He's like, why don't you just work a job in every state? He's like, you can apprentice people. You can learn. It'd be really cool experiences. You can share your journey. And I was like, I love that. That sounds fun. I'm going to do that. <laughs> so I called Alyssa and I was like, hey, I found a great idea that we could do on our honeymoon. And she thought it was a terrible idea because she's like, I don't want to work throughout our entire honeymoon. <laughs> but I ended up sending an email to a job board and that I had met at a conference and basically just pitched them and told them what I was doing. And they got back to me immediately and said they've been looking for somebody to do a trip like this with and flew me out to their headquarters like a week later after I had left my job and basically agreed to give us a small amount of monthly rep income to go and do this. It wasn't, it wasn't a ton. It was like a thousand bucks. And then they, they asked, they said, hey, we have some extra film equipment here. If we send it to you, would you be interested in kind of documenting your journey, maybe making a little mini documentary kind of thing? And we had no experience, but we said, yeah, that sounds great. And the morning of our wedding, we got two cameras in the mail. We bought a RV off Craigslist for 11,000 bucks using a good bit of our savings and renovated a little bit and hit the road four days after our wedding. Wow. That's crazy. And so how long did it take you to do the 50 states? How long was that portion of your journey? If you left in 2014, how long were you doing that? We did the whole 50 states in 53 weeks. So just a little over a year we did. We drove to 49 and then obviously flew to Hawaii. Yeah, I don't even know why the Hawaii sticker is on the side of my rig. My rig's never going to Hawaii. <laughs> That's what me and my rig have in common. We've never been to Hawaii. Um, so after the the documentary, what were you doing from the time like, like the documentary release to when you started uh, the RB Entrepreneur podcast? What was going on during? It just looks like on my map, there's about a year between the two, one ending and one starting. Yeah, so basically after Hourly America finished or towards the end of that journey, Alyssa and I had been recording video at different jobs two to three days a week. And we were, we were kind of using this trip to also kind of build up our own personal network. And we volunteered at conferences uh, as we went across the country. Uh, one of them in particular was World Domination Summit in Portland, Oregon. This year is actually going to be its last year. But I reached out to the conference host, Chris Gillibo, and I just said, hey, my wife and I are traveling across the country. We're doing this trip. And, you know, we have a video camera. Do you need me help videoing your conference? And they said, yes. And so we ended up going to events like that and um, basically kind of building our network. And 
one thing that kind of came from that was about nine months in, we had never done any video. And nine months in, we got our first paid video client. It was like a half day shoot for a thousand bucks. And we were so excited. We basically realized like, hey, there's something here that maybe we can do uh, is to continue traveling and making an income remotely. And the other thing that happened was after Jaw recognized that I was traveling around and I actually took it as advice and I was doing this trip across the country, he ended up hiring me for a book that was coming out to help him plan his book tour. He had a contract with Random House. And so we planned like a 30 city book tour, uh, did lots of videos uh, for a course he did. And basically that was like a six month contract that I had towards the end of our early America trip. He was like, you're traveling around the country, you know, cities. So he's like, okay. Um, and so from those, we ended up getting um, quite a few other like, video production gigs over the next like couple of years, uh, doing courses, like conferences, all kinds of other little random things, like mostly word of mouth. And that was kind of the intermediary thing. And we started the RV Entrepreneur Podcast in February of 2016, which is about the same time we were uh, finishing up editing our documentary. So those are kind of the things that happened that next year is mostly like trying to pay down some of that debt. We didn't really travel a ton. We mostly had our RV uh, in Austin during that time. And I was like flying, going on this book tour and stuff like that. Uh, it's kind of like the year of like figuring out how do we make this life sustainable after a year of crazy travel. So you, you launch with this, uh, I remember, I remember what it looked like. It was just an older class C RV kind of start with what you have, which was great. Um, and then I want to say sometime in 2017, you guys got rid of that and then upgraded. It was actually in late 2016. We, okay. uh, oh, actually, no, it was late 2015. We ended up getting the brave. So we had our Franklin, the first RV for like uh, a year and a half. And then we upgraded to a Winnebago. Uh, the other one had like leaks and stuff. I mean, our wedding hashtag was breaking Paget, and that was at the time breaking bad was a big deal. So it was like, you can kind of imagine what it looked like. And, um, it was fun and I loved that rig, but we didn't have really any workspace. We had like one little circle table. And so like our computers had to be at a 90 degree angle, otherwise they'd hit each other's. And so basically I was like, you know, if we're going to continue traveling, I want to upgrade. And also I realized at the time, a lot of my blog post had started being more centered around like RVing because I really enjoyed it and it, it was really fun and I would geeking out about it like at one point on our trip I told us I was like I think I want to make my blog about RVing and she's like uh, okay that sounds lame I don't want to talk about that <laughs> so I was like okay I'm, I'm, I want to and um and so basically I, re I thought it'd be another outside of just like wanting to continue traveling and be in a newer rig and that's more dependable as I'm traveling with my wife across the country. Um, we also thought maybe it'd be a cool chance to open up a dialogue and relationship with a uh, manufacturer and kind of like build that relationship as well. So I got connected with Winnebago through Nikki Wynn of Gone with the Winds as we were kind of looking at a new rig. Uh, and I ended up in kind of like leveraging an opportunity to do like a little like TV show, like the going RV show that a lot of people have kind of done now, but, um, doing that with like getting a Winnebago unit. So we got like a little bit of a discount on it. Um, I, I like to say that because we were in the middle of like paying down debt. It probably wasn't the smartest financial decision at the time, but we were excited to be in like a dependable, nice space after like really, uh, roughing it for a year and a half in a rig that like we had to like put tape over leaks and stuff like that and so um that was a uh, yeah that was ended up being a really good call we love that i love that rv now is the blog what kind of brought you into the podcast or the facebook group and which one kind of started first between the podcast and the facebook group 
Yeah, so I started um, writing more about RVing, like that first year on the road. It's mostly articles just about like why I think RVing is awesome. <laughs> so I'm just like, it's fun. Uh, and after that first year, I posted in a Facebook group. I think it was like RV Tips Facebook group that I was in. And I just said, hey, pop quiz, we just went to 50 states or we just RV'd to like 49 states. Um, guess how much it costs to like drive our RV to all those places. And then I like logged off and ate, and ate dinner and I got back on an hour later and there's 300 comments of mm. people. And, and then like, because I hadn't got back on, I just didn't expect it to blow up like that. Uh, I didn't really understand the dynamic of Facebook groups at the time. I think now I have a much better appreciation for how it maybe perceived like a couple of comments towards the end where people saying like, this guy just wanted people to go find his blog and just <laughs> it's like, okay, look, I just ate dinner. I didn't think about this, but anyway, all that to say, I realize a lot of people were super interested in the cost and the economics behind the lifestyle and, and how that looked. And, uh, and I shared our numbers and I think we had traveled pretty inexpensively. I think a lot of people can even travel way, way cheaper than we did. But it was, if I were to like ask how much do you think it costs to go to all the 50 states um, without having much context, I maybe would have thought it would cost a lot more. So I, I did a free course on just like how to travel, how we traveled most of the time on like two grand a month or less. And, you know, little things like we went to Planet Fitness or, you know, joining like memberships like Passport America and um, other like cost saving things we've done, like mostly probably buying great value stuff. <laughs> and so I did that and uh, did a few guest posts and, it, and the course was doing well. People got value from it. And so I started a Facebook group to kind of like go along with it. And the whole idea with that group wasn't necessarily around saving money, but trying to like build the community and friendships around uh, people who are earning an income on the road, just kind of like crowdsourcing information. And the podcast actually came after I started that group. Now the group when I originally started had a different name than RV entrepreneur, correct? Make money in RV, but yeah, it's on its scammy. And I think we got a lot of like people like bots who just like spammed groups that had like money in the title. So I changed it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I remember that. I mean, but it was, that's a funny thing too, that sometimes when you're very clear and direct, people think it's spammy. <laughs> and that's where I'm like, oh, that sucks. Like, it's just, this is how to make it a, you know, a living while traveling. So you transferred over to being called the RV Entrepreneur, both podcast and Facebook group. And I will say if you're on Facebook and like me in 2016, I was not in an RV and I was not an entrepreneur at the time. And I joined the group just because there are a lot of uh, remote workers or people that are interested in learning about how to make a living while traveling or how to sustain a business while traveling. So even if you're not there, it's a great group to join. And I will give you a little prop. Facebook groups overall, a lot of them are really terrible. And you guys have ran one of like probably the best groups in Facebook in regards to there's just not a lot of that kind of, you know what it is, just like sour kind of hate and stuff that goes on, which is really great. It really is a safe place to ask questions and do things. So props to you and Alyssa. For I try to, uh, I try to not put up with no shit. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think, I think what I, I think what I learned from you too, is that there was a time where someone was posting something that I considered to be kind of, you know, a, a competitor of yours. And, you know, I came in kind of on your defense where it's like, Hey, you know what, that's kind of messed up to be sharing something that's similar in a way, not a hundred percent. And then I remember you coming in saying, you know what, it's totally cool. Like if, you know, there's enough business for everyone. And I was like, that is really refreshing because I'm a little old school that way still too, even though, you know, I'm not 50 yet. I'm not a boomer, but I definitely was like, this isn't cool. And then it was like, no, this is kind of cool. If the group's right, this is the way you do it. Um, so just props there. If anybody is looking for that, 
get into that. And same thing with his, with your podcast. Um, the podcast has had some amazing guests on there. And then you've really lowered the bar and had people like me on there. And that's okay. Um, I, w- I, w- I want to say one more thing about the Facebook group. If you're sure. somebody who's thinking about like starting a Facebook group or like moderating one or something like that, like I think one, I think two things have been really, really helpful for that. And one of them is if somebody is putting anything negative into the group, I immediately delete and block them. Like just straight up. I don't, I don't warn them. I don't like give them a second chance because Facebook groups are a privilege because they're free. And like, we're not getting paid to moderate this group because so like if you're a paying customer, it's another thing, but you're not. And like, it's a privilege to be in there. And it's a place where people can be positive about like for people who are transitioning into moving into an RV, uh, you know, a lot, it's, good chance that you're going to face a lot of negativity from the people within your immediate circles when you're doing that. So to have like one place that's actually like really encouraging and supporting can make a big difference. So if you're somebody that's coming to try to be negative, it's like, I literally delete block, no questions asked. Like if it's considered like looking negative, and I may have made a couple exceptions over the years if somebody like reached out and said like, they shouldn't have said that or they thought, but even then it's just like, look, I, I usually don't even like give them a reason. I just delete block and move on because like I said, it's, you know, like if you're going to try to put anything that can be construed as negative or not adding value, then you're gone. And the other thing I would say is like, if there are situations that um, Facebook does kind of like spiral out of control, like if somebody posts, like there's one post in particular that comes to mind. It was right before our 2018 RV Entrepreneur Summit and somebody posted and there's like, isn't there enough RV YouTube channels like out there? Like, do we really need another one? And, you know, like everyone has their opinion, but it was just one of those things that it's just like, that's not a good thing to put out there, especially in a group where people are excited to share their stories and their content. And by the time I saw the post, there was like 200 comments on it. And so it's at that point, it's like, okay, well, everyone's already seen it. So like deleting and is not like a good option. So it's like when situations do come up like that, it's almost like a good opportunity to like jump in and like reiterate that that is not the purpose of this group and like reiterate what the purpose of it is, which is to encourage people to like chase after things that they want to do. And, uh, and that there, yeah, is enough opportunity for everybody if you are willing to like put yourself out there and share your story. And so essentially like if there are, if you can't like just delete and block and move on, then using those opportunities as a chance to show like what it, what the group is not about um, and then delete block and move on. (laughs) Yeah, and I think if you go in it too with again, you know, I'm I'm not a big numbers guy. We have a we have a group as well too for subscribers, and people try to join it that aren't subscribers, and then I just say I'm sorry, that's not what this group is for. I'm not looking just to have like a large number group, and I think a lot of people get really excited about that. It's it's really better to have the right people than just a lot of the wrong people just for a number's sake. I will Absolutely. say, yeah, I will say too that you know to that original post that got 200 you know, it was a good discussion because for me, I think there's a lot of people out there that are creating YouTube channels that are just someone else's YouTube channel. And I think you said your story. And I think that's really important. If you just go into it to share your story, because your story is unique, no matter what, even if it's mathematically the same as someone else, husband, wife, two kids, fifth wheel, you know, travels to States, it's still your story is different. And, and that's the thing that I think I always try to encourage people stop trying to be the next, you know, Mark and Trish, just be you, you can't sustain trying to be Mark and Trish, you know, if that's who you look up to and idolize. And I think a lot of people get caught up in that. And, but to your point, there's never, you could do that with, isn't there enough sports already? Isn't there enough coffee (laughs) shops already? Like, where do you draw the line when, you know, and I've gotten even some weird kind of 
like almost like this lifestyle is supposed to be secret, you know, like boondocking is supposed to be secret. Like, please don't share boondocking spots. Please don't share really popular campgrounds. We're trying to keep those secret. I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, that's insane. Don't keep yeah. that stuff secret. It's kind of an interesting um, counterintuitive thing because on one side, you need community to sustain, I think you need community to sustain this lifestyle. You know, I, th- I think it makes it better. Uh, I think having good friends along for the journey makes it more fun. Seeing people in different places is exciting. People you have a lot in common with is great. But I'd say the other side of that equation with when it comes to people that are so in a niche that that's all they see and all they talk to, like, you know, if somebody was like upset about boondocking sites and like that's the whole world is like RVing and boondocking. It's like for me, a big part of RVing is just, being excited about the lifestyle because you're enjoying it and you're having a great time and you're doing you. Um, and so I just feel like once you go so deep in a, like a niche or a community or something like that, there's like the downside of people who are like, take stuff way too seriously. <laughs> like, and are, and they're just like, are you, are you kind of forgetting like what's, what it, this is actually all about? Um, and so I think that that can be like a downside to people who are like, getting so deep into a certain area and i think maybe that's the case for any industry or any community if that makes sense no it does the, the nicher you get that's where you run into those kind of problems and issues so now we're at somewhere in mid 2016 you've got the podcast going you've got this facebook group that does a name change so everything's lined up together and out of the group if i recall correctly it's really group members that suggest having some sort of event and let's get into your annual event and talk about how that came to be. Yeah, it was actually our friend Michelle, who we actually hired last year to help us run the event. And so they ended up benefiting from that as well. <laughs> but uh, yeah, basically I just posted and said, hey, you know, uh, I started the podcast kind of out of feedback. And uh, one of the one of the whole goals with the podcast was really to kind of create more of a central dialogue that almost could be a long form learning for people who are in the group because people come in the group and ask questions about specific things they're going through. But if there's a podcast kind of creates more of a central dialogue of things that people could listen to and things like that. And by the way, I'm using crisp right now. If you can still hear me audibly with a jet flying overhead, that's why. Can you still hear me? That was good. I mean, and I, I'm glad we left it in because I like getting good <laughs> tips too. And you gave me the tip. It, it does. You can hear it, but it's not nearly what I know it would be without crisp. So that's I could cool barely thing. hear it in my, like hear my own voices, how loud that was. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so using crisp, it's great. If you're taking calls from coffee shops or airports or noisy RV parks or it's windy or whatever. So uh, I highly recommend that for if you're taking lots of meetings on the road. And so Anyway, I posted in the group. I was like, hey, feedback for starting the podcast came out of this group. Like, what else could we do to make this community better and more awesome? Somebody said, you should host an annual summit. And I was like, oh, that sounds really intimidating to host like a conference. Uh, you know, when you think of, when I think of people who host conferences, I think of like Chris Gilbo, the, the guy who had went to his event in Portland. Uh, Chris had like a blog, then he posts like a, a manifesto ebook that went really well. And then he had a New York Times bestseller. And then he went on a book tour and then he's got like courses and other things. And then like, and then after doing all these things that seem really successful, then he hosts a conference. So I was like, we're just kind of like jumping the gun and like going from podcast to full blown conference. Uh, and so I kind of like, didn't really think about it. It was like several months down the road and we were in Texas hanging out with our friends, Eric and Brittany Highland at this campground at San Marcos outside of Austin. And we were doing, we do like morning walks and talk like ideas and business and life. And I told them, I was like, I kind of want to host a, 
event, maybe like a bigger meetup and have like a format or something like that. He's like, look, you're going to be in Texas the next few months during winter anyway. You know the area. Why don't you just put it out there and, and do it? I was like, okay. I went to the RV and I told Alyssa, she's like, we have enough going on. Like we're merging our websites right now. Like you just wrote a wrote this book and put on our website and like we've, we've got quite a bit of going on. And I don't remember how the conversation escalated, but we ended up putting it out there to our email list and asking people if they'd be interested in coming. And enough people said yes. And we were like, if we get 30 people to come in person, that would be a big win. And we had 120 people come in that first year. And I was pretty blown away. And we ended up kind of, I think we tried to set expectations really, really low and just say like, we're going to host an event. And we like didn't share any details. And so when people got there, I think they were impressed that we had like, manuals and a stage and or not mean you know like uh schedules and a stage and t-shirts and um badges and all that kind of stuff they're like oh this is like a like an actual conference and uh and stuff like that so that was that was pretty fun and uh in a couple of months we're hosting it for our fourth year and we'll have uh, about 350 people there we even created a entrepreneurship track for kids this year which is going to be really fun that's really cool i i've never seen the 2017 online um I was at the 2018 kind of like the pre conference because at the time I was working for a conference and Heath would always schedule his summits around <laughs> my conference. So I could never attend. Well done, buddy. And then it just seemed like every year it got better and better for sure. Even looking, I mean, I was there and being able to see, you know, the, the, the space that you sent up, the stages, the speakers. And it's interesting that I think even this year is really like some of the podcast guests I've had, Tim and Finn, they'll be speaking there. Um, it really does seem like an, an amazing event for only four years in. I mean, 120 on your first is phenomenal. I hope you know that and feel that and see that in regards to just, you, know, you know your community and stuff. And I think it goes along to say that, you know, everyone tries – you know, your buddy's phrase, I think, was used for parenting, too, for traveling. You know, I think that parenting can work the same way. You have the means and you have the energy. You can do the same thing. I think I heard that once when it regards to parenting. People try to wait till they're ready. Same thing with, like, projects or, you know, an event. You know, if you wait until you think you're really ready, you'll probably never do it. And to set a, a low number of 30, which is still really good turnout, and get in 120 is phenomenal. Um, I'll definitely link all the information about the summit down below. It's it's within 30 days, so um, I'm not 100% sure when this podcast will come out. It'll probably come out after the event, but it is a group that you should get involved with. His podcast you should get involved with. Now, so you had the podcast, you had the group, but then, you know, like your wife has already said, you decided to start something else. And you, with a friend, launched campgroundbooking.com. Let's get into what that looks like and when did that start and what is it all about and where is it today? So in the moment, I actually thought I was not doing too much because we had finished our documentary and it premiered. So I was kind of trying to figure out what the next big overlapping project was going to be and the next big focus that I could spend a few years working on. And so one of the things that had come up during our first year on the road was that it was a struggle to find a book campsites. Uh, it was just frustrating. A lot of parks didn't have a website or a reservation link on their website. So if you were like, trying to find a campsite and you weren't boondocking and you're driving around a town at five or six at night, just seeing who has availability, that sucks. And so like there had to be a better process kind of thing. And so basically I, I had kind of had that in the back of my head is like, that could be an interesting business someone should start. And then I felt like it was still kind of a pain point a couple of years afterwards. And I was like, well, maybe we should, maybe we should try to figure out a way to do something like that. I didn't have experience in starting my own software company, but I knew from working at the startup in Austin that the interesting thing about SaaS companies is like once you have a product in the market, 
and like there's kind of unlimited potential for how much it could scale and grow. And so I ended up finding um, both of my co-founders, one of them uh, is still my partner today. We bought out the other one uh, in my in the Facebook group. And I just posted in there, said, I'm looking for a developer for this project and talked to a couple people and found Paul. And uh, we built uh, kind of the MVP. And when we were looking at trying to uh, solve this problem, we kind of like had a few different approaches for what we wanted to do. I really wanted to create a B2C product. I wanted to create like a booking site where you know, you and I go to reserve. We have that now, um, but really we have been 99.9% focused on B2B over the past few years because what we realized was, hey, there's about 16, there's about 13,000 private campgrounds in the US and about 4,000 in Canada. So, um, you know, somewhere north of 15,000 campgrounds in North America and a still good percentage of them don't have any type of modern online reservation system. Whenever we started, the number was probably less than 30% uh, that actually had one. And so essentially, we kind of realized, hey, we can't create really a B2C site if there's no calendar for us to sync our API with. So essentially, we need a way to connect our consumer-facing site with an existing reservation system that's running the campground and integrate with them. And so we kind of realized like we need to create that reservation system and try to like get into the hands of many campgrounds as possible. So I think uh, over the next couple of years was really basically building a product and trying to figure out what people call product market fit. I've learned so much in the past couple of years of getting this company off the ground. So um, we ended up forming a couple of partnerships that helped us get initial customer traction, if you will. And so fast forward to, uh, we filed the company late 2016. That's when we first started building the product. And then we went live with our first customer in January of 2018. So it was actually over a year before we went live. Like we had like beta customers, but that was like our first paying customer. Um, And then we only added a few more campgrounds on in 2018. So we only had like a few parks going into 2019. Um, But then this year we 10X that number. So we now are close to like, we're we're now like 40 parks that were like powering their full um, campground experience. And the reason why it's taken so long and it's definitely been a little discouraging at times, but we essentially realized like we're powering um, like a six and seven figure business and we're running everything. So when you've got 50 people checking in, you can't have a glitch. You can't have a bug. When you when you open up for your full camping season and 500 people are on your website trying to all grab a site all at once, like there's, there's very little margin for error. Um, so essentially the product has to be incredibly robust. Like when we're looking at companies that are in the space, they're all really, really well funded. They've got engineering teams of like 30 uh, and we are an engineering team of one. And so essentially it's taken us a lot longer because we have bootstrapped the company to date. But last year we processed 1.5 million in bookings and, um, and which was about 15 to 20,000 campers, meaning that they had like successfully booked online. Um, and this year will be um, a lot more than that. I don't know what it's going to be exactly, but um, essentially we're making money. Um, we received uh, actually an acquisition offer in 2019. We didn't take it, but uh, came very close. And that would have been a whole different kind of like path for us. But uh, anyway, it's it's been a journey to get to this point. And now like we're powering the reservation system, a lot of campgrounds. Um, people can go to their website, the campgrounds website, book within like 60 seconds. And, um, you know, it, it's helping to solve the pain point that we originally set out to solve. It hasn't been the, you know, end all consume, consumer booking site that my vision was for it, but it's definitely 
been able to start solving that problem for for those specific parks. That's awesome. Yeah, because it is a real issue. There are a lot that are, you know, call and you call and it rings and you get an answering machine, like a straight up answer machine, not even a voicemail service. You have to leave a message and hope they call you back and and hope they get your information right. I think a lot of times we've booked things over the phone is when we've ran into problems too, where we get there and they're like, oh, did you say 42 feet? I wrote it down as 24 feet, you know, kind of a thing. I remember when I heard about you launching this, when you finally kind of made it public that you were doing this, I think I was one of the first at any time I had an issue at a campground. I was like, hey, you guys should use this service and this wouldn't be an issue moving forward. Um, I love it. I appreciate that. No worries. I love the the jet laughter. It's like mute jet laughter. It's really good. I mean, this, it seems like we should stop, but now there is something new that you have on the horizons. And let's, let's just talk about really quick where, what are you looking at doing next? So in 2020, which is this year, obviously, we're traveling across the country in search of a campground that we want to buy. And it kind of seems like maybe this came out of nowhere, but one of the things that we realized by hosting our RV Entrepreneur Summit is that we love hosting people. Like we, we plan this thing in a year in advance and we, Alyssa and I, like a form of date for us is walking around whatever campground we're currently at and talking about the attendee experience and like, is this going to add to the experience? Like how can we overperform and all this other stuff? And we enjoy it. And we giving being around people in person gives us so much energy and going to so many parks across the country and also having campground booking and learning a lot of processes that you need to run a campground kind of realized like there's a, we have a different vision for what we feel campground hospitality should look like. Uh, we, we don't, I don't feel for the vast majority of campgrounds right now, like if you go check in and like show up, it's like, I've never been blown away by the campground experience. And so essentially I think a lot of them are, they feel tired and they don't feel, uh, like I believe they could be. And so, um, by bringing together this community from, for the RV entrepreneur summit and doing little things like having a co-working space on site and realizing how cool that would be for people to have like fiber internet and get to work around other people. And, uh, and also going to places like Italy and RVing over there and realizing their campeggios, uh, their campgrounds, like they have these really modern, like micro breweries and awesome restaurants that are packed on site and more modern amenities and things of that nature. I'm just kind of realizing, I think there's a massive gap in what the campground experience could be. And we have ideas for how we could do it better. And so we're going to buy a campground this year and try to bring that experience to life. And that's what we're focusing on. So let me ask you a few questions. But are you looking to buy a current campground or land and build one? The plan is to buy an existing park. And so that is uh, just from like a financial perspective. Um, our, one of our, like our partner who we're planning on going into this with, he, he was a contractor in Nashville for 10 years, built houses, did, bought property, done a lot of things. And he's also an RVer, good friend of ours. And, you know, when we just look at the financials of like buying an existing plot of land, you know, you basically got one to two years that you can, you're not going to be making any money. But if you buy a park that has like most of the infrastructure already built and you're like, I just need to, you know, change up some things to like uh, boost cash flow and add a cool experience to this thing, then, um, you know, you can start making money almost immediately. So that's why we're leaning towards that. But 
the whole idea of this year is that we want to learn. So I'm planning on spinning off a podcast after doing 200 episodes of the RV Entrepreneur, or basically I'm want to learn about real estate and running a campground and trying to like talk to people who are doing things in the hospitality space, maybe if it's not in the RV space. Um, and so all that to say, it could end up, we could find an amazing piece of property this year that is not an existing park, um, but we're really excited about it and we might just do it. Or, you know, we might find a park that has been existing and it's kind of just not being ran well and it's for sale and we want to buy that one. So we're kind of open for ideas, but we're kind of just putting it out there into the world. It's like that idea and that goal that feels out of reach enough to make you feel very uncomfortable by talking about it, um, that we're going to do it this year. And so that's, that's a current plan. Do you have any like site ideas? Like you're looking for one that's over 20, over a hundred. Is there any of that in the mix that you think that you're looking for? We could learn otherwise, but right now we don't want to, um, we want to have enough sites that could rationalize us hiring management to run the park, not just like a work camper. Uh, so basically I think ideally we'd have somewhere north of 150 sites, uh, just because we need to make enough money to hire, uh, like true management, not just somebody to come in and like, you know, get a free site and check in people. Cause that's not what we want. Um, and so we don't want to have to be there all the time. We know we're going to be there for a while in the beginning, but my ideal scenario is that like, we don't, we don't create a job where Alyssa and I are, you know, just plumbing toilets and, you know, having to like do every little thing. Like we want to, we want to run it. We want to own it. We want to create the processes and the team, the culture. And if it goes really well, maybe we have multiple properties, but um, we want to start with that intention in mind, which means we need to have a big enough park that can bring enough cash flow in that we can think on the business instead of being in the business all the time. No, it makes sense. I, I wonder if the thing I've heard is actually true that all campgrounds are for sale, basically. You know, and I thought that's funny. The first time I heard that someone told me that when I was like, I think I asked somewhere, where do you find campgrounds for sale? And someone responded that was an old campground, older uh, gentleman that had owned them in the past said they're all for sale. Just go in and make an offer. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. And maybe that's that's a that's actually a good approach that I need to remember this year. Uh, because there's a, we're looking in Tennessee, Colorado, and Texas Hill Country, but also we're near the beach right now. And it's like, why are we buying one near the beach? That sounds amazing. So uh, yeah, that I have heard that as well, though. I don't know it for, for a fact, but maybe I'll have more intel on that after this year. That'll be a good podcast episode. <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, but you are looking for four seasons, though, correct? Is that, that what they would be open year round? Not necessarily because we're also, I also know from working with campgrounds that are seasonal that just because it's a seasonal park does not mean it can't be a highly profitable park. And the idea of having that break time is actually very appealing. One of the properties we were looking at was in Colorado and it is a, one of the few parks in a certain area that can be operated year round in Colorado, even though it's in the mountains and that that would be really cool. But also, so it kind of gives you the option of, Hey, if there's a cool winter package that incentivizes people to come out, that's an option. But otherwise you can also close it down and just like do stuff around the park and get ready for next year. So I feel like we're just going to be, it's going to be one of those things, almost like our first year of being on the road, where when we looked at this idea of goal of going to all 50 States in a year, it felt terrifying. And I was like, there's so much stuff that I don't know about. And also part of me is almost hesitant to even talk too much about it because I know that I'm going to say something dumb that I don't know anything about because we're just getting into it. Uh, so I'm very naive right now, but I don't know. We're going to, we're going to learn a lot in this, uh, this coming year. And I think that's, I think that's where a lot of the 
the fun comes from it. Because as you're talking about software, you're obviously using lingo that is for people that are in the industry. And obviously, when you first started, that wasn't the way. The same thing here, you're going to be asking questions and talking about things that you just don't know. And I guarantee there's there's a ton of us that are RVers that at some point would love to own a campground for the same reasons you're talking about. Just the experience isn't where it needs to be. This industry is ripe for a complete kind of takeover that way because of the experience. And I think when you were saying stuff about like hosting, you know, I haven't had like amazing, you know, campground experiences, but I have had, you know, Harvest Host and Boondocker Welcome experiences where I've, you know, shown up and the host has that level of excitement. And it really has a lot to Mm. do with what you're talking about. The people that are running it really set the tone for it. And I think you're, I think you're onto something, man. I mean, I think it's going to be really cool. I'm excited to follow along on the journey because, you know, it's one of those things that's in the back of my mind too. And I think it'll be fun to kind of see it through your eyes and probably learn a ton. I get to learn from your mistakes. Thanks, Heath. I appreciate it. You're going to save me a ton of money. You bet. <laughs> and then let's uh, go into just what I like to do is um, like a little bit of a look back. Uh, is there any advice that you would want to give um, someone that's thinking about this lifestyle that maybe you didn't know in the beginning and now you know, and it's something someone really needs to know before they take off? I think For me, one of the biggest fears that I had going into this lifestyle was that it would be a step back in my career. At 23, I was just getting started, and I still am just getting started. And so I was afraid that if I moved into an RV and traveled, that it would make me, quote unquote, less successful. Um, And not just because I'm doing a lot of work in the camping industry, but that hasn't been the case at all. I was also worried people wouldn't think of me as professional or as um, adequate in my job or clients wouldn't think of me or like want to work with me because I was in an RV. Like none of that's been true because if you show up and you have uh, good communication skills and you do a great job, people don't care. And so, and I, and I found that to be the case, even for people whose jobs are 100% not in this industry, uh, they had those fears before getting into it as well. And so I think that that is just a big one that if you're thinking about moving into an RV and traveling and you're excited about the idea of getting to travel the country uh, and you have a business or a job that you can work remotely, but you're just afraid of people's perceptions of you, uh, I can just hopefully put that at ease some and just say that that has just not been the case. Even in situations like I, after our first year on the road, I spoke at, I was invited to speak at a few different large companies that have lots of hourly workers to share my story. And like one of them was speaking in front of the most successful Chick-fil-A franchisee owners. Like these are the guys that have two stores. None of them have two stores. Some of them have three stores uh, and it's like very rare. And so these are guys who are running, you know, two, four to $8 million a year businesses each. And, you know, like they, they're doing well. And I was like, yeah, I live in an RV and here's why you should take advice from me. Kind of, I mean, that's not what I said, but afterwards, like one of the guys came up and he's like, oh man, I'm trying to, you know, take my, I'm traveling around the country with my family right now or I'm dreaming about that. And it was just like, nobody cared. And plus it was, it was different and it was interesting and it gave clients a thing for us to talk to like, Hey, where are you at this week? And that's cool and exciting. And so I think if anything, it gives us a different story that even if we're bringing the same skills to the table, uh, people can remember us in a different way. If they've met us at a conference or if they thinking about working with us, Oh, they're the people who are traveling in the country. That's cool. That's different. And uh, it kind of gives you a, a differentiate a different point and also you can approach problems differently so if you're thinking about RVing and you're afraid of that like I think that is maybe a moot fear love it was there a second part of that question 
No, this is the, <laughs> yeah, that was just the, the advice part. This is what I refer to as the high low. This is something I used to do with my kids when I get all four of them at the table, I'd ask them on a high and a low for the day. And the reason we would do it is a lot of times their lows are very similar to each other. And it made them realize they weren't, you know, all alone in things that are going on. And I think a lot of time in this lifestyle, especially because Instagram and Facebook, there's a lot of people that are just putting out the highs all the time. You're never seeing anything. So I like to ask people low and high. What has been one of the, the, the lows since you've been living this lifestyle on the road? I think a low for us was uh, traveling across Canada in 2018, uh, right before Alyssa got pregnant. It was like, it was just a point of burnout for us because we had went to New Zealand earlier in the year, which again, I'm saying this sounds super privileged and everything. Like it was amazing. We loved it. It was incredible. But one of the things for us that we've had in the past, like in 2017 is we had a a decent balance, if you will. At least we felt that way. It's different for everybody, but we traveled slowly, which meant we still got to a new place every month, but we also had plenty of time for our work. We typically work 30, 40 hours a week. Uh, actually, I, I, that's a lie. I work more than that, but we, we work a decent amount. But then, you know, on the weekends or evenings or mornings or just random days, we'll take off and like enjoy ourselves, like whatever place we're in. And in 2017 was a year we spent a lot of time near the water, which we love and gives us lots of energy. And we spent a couple of months in Maine, which was amazing. And I loved it so much. And it was great. And we had, we also worked on some really fun projects that year. We hosted our conference for the first time. We did some really cool projects with Winnebago. Um, and, and we also did a lot of exploring and hanging out with friends. And so those were all things that gave us a lot of energy. And then in 2018, we kind of prioritized travel above everything else and also like work projects above everything else. And so we ended up moving the two months we were in New Zealand every day. And then we were trying to figure out what was next and what we we're going to prioritize and all this stuff. And we kind of reached a decision fatigue. And then we like ended up going to Canada for like some projects for campground booking because we got a big contract up there. And after like being already really exhausted at the beginning of this trip, which we probably should have never went on, we spent another three months traveling across Canada, moving literally again every single day. So we didn't have that balance for us and we try to do too much. And it sounds crazy, but like our work almost, our work was almost too integrated into our life. Uh, what I enjoyed about me personally in 2017 was like, we were doing projects we really enjoyed, but we also were just visiting places that we really wanted to visit. And in this scenario last year, we were like prioritizing going to, average campground so I could just stop and take photos of places that I didn't care about and like just enough time to like go to a provincial park to snap some photos for this trip guide that I didn't care about. <laughs> I know it sounds super negative, but for me in that moment, it was just like, it was, it was burnout and I was exhausted and I was tired and I wasn't having fun. And that's not why I chose to be in this lifestyle in the first place. And so I think that was a, that was a low for us. And, you know, Alyssa got pregnant and that was a big reason why we were stationary, but a part of it too that coincided was just a little bit of burnout. So yeah, and burnout can happen no matter where you're at or who you're at. It, it definitely happens. Um, I think you kind of touched on a high, but I just want to see if maybe there's a different high. Uh, what's been a real high of this lifestyle? I think a high for us has been, I think for me, the RV Entrepreneur Summit. When I think about what has been a really cool high every single year, because we have made so many amazing relationships with people and you just like you put a lot of stuff out there into the world and some of it sticks but most of it doesn't like I wrote a book didn't do super well I did a documentary like some people saw it and got press or whatever but like it wasn't you know 
anything crazy or award winning kind of thing. Um, and we did some client projects, but like that never became like our, like a crazy big company or, you know, so it's like you do lots of stuff that nobody ever really knows about, but they know about the things that you do that get noticed. And so for us, the RV entrepreneur summit has been this kind of like perfect middle ground of this area where we feel we can provide value for people. And we also get a tremendous amount of joy. And also it's an area that we have skills. Like Alyssa's an amazing event coordinator. She's very detail oriented. I love talking and socializing with people. So when the event kicks off, like I'm out talking, I'm interacting. I love creating content on the podcast. So like bringing in speakers and working with them on their talks is something I really, really enjoy. And I do a lot of it and it's fun. And so it's been just a high for us because we get to interact with people. We've kind of started building relationships with online. We get to share a lifestyle that has changed our lives. So people come to the summit who are already on the road or maybe still training, planning their transition. And then they go out and get to see the world or see the country. And we played a small hand in that. Like that's really, really cool because that being able to go travel the country has impacted our lives in such a, such a big way. So I think for us, the conference has been really amazing. I think it is funny that, you know, I joined the group a year before, not a year, maybe six months before I left. And again, I wasn't in an RV and I wasn't an entrepreneur. And here we are 2020. I'm in an RV and I am an entrepreneur. And it's kind of like <laughs> one of those things too, like get in the group if you're really thinking about doing it. And it's just, it's neat to be around it. You know, Heath, before I let you go, and I know I'm going to have to link a ton of this, but, um, and a lot of things that we talked about in today's show that people can find these different ventures, the documentary, campground booking to the Facebook group, to the podcast, but where can people find you uh, online if they just want to connect? Yeah. Heath, uh, like spelled like the candy bar, H-E-A-T-H-A-N-D and Alyssa, A-L-Y-S-S-A.com is kind of kind of a catch-all for everything. So we've got social links, Heath and Alyssa on Instagram, um, you know, the podcast is on there. So that's basically, if you w- want to just kind of look at various projects, whether it's campground booking or the RV Entrepreneur Summit or whatever, it's all on there. Sounds good. Thanks again, man, so much for hanging out with us today and taking time away and sharing your story. It's awesome. Thanks, Damien. All right, another fun episode. And I am sorry about some of the audio issues. You know what, you guys, I'm still learning too. I think I have found some ways to be able to fix that, but I already have a couple episodes in the can, but I'm going to get there. And this thing's going to be super clean. So stick around. I also want to update you that Heath and Alyssa had to cancel the in-person portion of the 2020 RV Summit due to the coronavirus. And they had to scramble around and really switch it from an in-person event to an online only event within less than about a week. And it looks like they did a phenomenal job. But before you hit stop on this podcast, please take a moment and leave a review, write a comment. It'd be amazing if you could share this podcast on Facebook or Instagram. And like always, you can tag us by using the hashtag rootlessliving, all one word. And if you think you know someone that would make a good guest, or that guest might even be you, please send us an email at podcast at rootlessliving.com and let's see if we can help tell your story. Until next week, stay rootless.